Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio, where comics and politics meet. This is your host, Ilana Levin, and this is a comics podcast. This is the sort of comics podcast for people who, if they've read Judge Dredd, are aware that Judge Dredd is a satire. They're also aware that Starship Troopers is a satire. They're really aware of a lot of satires that seem to have gone over the heads of other people. But joining me today are two creators of an amazing satire that I don't think anybody could possibly misinterpret, although that's not the only reason I enjoy it. But we're joined by the creators of Justice Warriors, which is a new series from Ahoy Comics. Normally, I would read sort of a description of it from like the press release, but actually the opening pages narration box covers it for me. And so I shall now proceed to tell you a little bit about the comic before introducing my guests. Behold, Bubble City, the first perfect city. Inside its protective shell, a bustling metropolis flourishes. It's a city of equality, diversity, and and prosperity. And it's a city with no crime, none, whatsoever. But just outside the bubble's enviro shield is the uninhabited zone, where mutants squat in the husk of the old world. Some choose to live in peace and try to earn their way into the bubble. But many languish in the rotten cul-de-sac of crime. The Bubble City PD polices the zone. They build community, keep order, and protect the population from themselves. And I'll add, or at least that's what they tell themselves. So welcome back to the show, Matt Bores. Matt actually was a guest a million years ago to talk about his work at the NIB. Yeah, thanks Uh, for having me back. Yeah. Matt Bores is a cartoonist, writer, editor, and the founder of The Nib. He was a Pulitzer Prize finalist for his political cartoons in 2012 and 2020, and drew the graphic novel War is Boring, written by David Axe. His comics have appeared in dozens of outlets, including The Nation, The Guardian, The Intercept, and were collected in a book, We Should Improve Society Somewhat, was the book. And Yes, it's the Matt from that comic. I'm sure you've used that comic to respond to people saying dumb shit on the internet many times. Justice Warriors is his first comic book series. Welcome back to the show, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I I was so excited when you reached out because I've been meaning to do this and now we're actually doing it. I think it might have been, I don't know, it might have been seven years ago or something like that that you were on the show last. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pre-pandemic time is is kind of hard to figure out sometimes. I don't I don't know if it was five years ago, yeah. seven years ago. But I would also say to folks, you know, the cartoon work you've been doing as political cartoons is really powerful, really recognizable, and it's just one of those things that you see and you think to yourself, oh my God, thank God somebody said it. So but I, I I know folks yeah, I know folks I know folks will be familiar with your work, you know. And joining me for the first time, I'm really excited to have him, is Ben Clarkson. Hello. Hello. Ben Clarkson is an artist, animator, filmmaker, and writer based in Montreal. Justice Warriors is his first comic series, which is hard to believe because it's awesome. Welcome to the show, Ben. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. So tell me first a little bit about how you got started as an, an artist, Ben. Were you always interested in comics as a visual medium, or was it more through animation? How did you get interested in doing this sort of visual art? It's it's sort of been a stumble a story of stumbling around. I started hmm. at art school and I was told that I should not make cartoons in art school because cartoons aren't art. So oh I became, yeah. <laughs> so I became sort of like a painter, I guess, for a while, and then I got out of art school and I started just drawing, and it was all very much for fine art. And then somewhere along the lines, I learned that newspapers and magazines would pay for drawings, and I wasn't making any money as a fine artist. So I started illustrating, and then I found out that people would pay a lot more money for animation. And so I taught myself how to Mm. animate just so that I could pay to support my fine art habit. And then somewhere along the lines, (laughs) I sort of realized this fine art thing isn't really paying any money. And it's just a bunch of rich lawyers who are scumbags going to Mm -hmm. galleries to try to pick up young lady painters. And I should stop doing that. So I sort of drifted into animation. It's so real and it's so gross. Yeah, it's super mm. gross. Art is disgusting. Art is a, is a terrible, <laughs> terrible field. Uh, I could go on for hours about how fine art is actually just a giant scam. 
It took me a long time which to we, learn. We don't mean like necessarily the stuff that the output, but the system through which it, which it is sold and marketed. I actually worked at an art gallery as one of like five simultaneous gigs right out of college. And I had worked for like the non-scummy guy, but it was just so clear what was happening in the broader space. And also that if I had worked for somebody that wasn't like a Puerto Rican activist graffiti art gallerist, I would have not been hired for not looking a certain way. I mean, seriously, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it really is. It's basically the thing that I learned during the NFT of craze of when mm. was that? Matt was just talking about how crazy pre-pandemic time was is that art is has, art is the original NFT. Mm. Like it's it's all a scam. The whole idea of the value of art and there's this whole system built on top of it and it took a long time to sort of unhook my I'm going to say my heart but like my libido like my urge for life mm. from like being recognized as an artist and then I was like okay what do I do now like I don't know how to do anything I can draw and then I sort of drifted slowly back towards cartoons and I had taught myself how to animate to try to make money and then I was like well why don't I try to make art, but then get paid for it? Why do I, mm -hmm. why can't I be like a great artist? Well, not a great artist, because who could, who could even hope to be that? But be an okay artist while making illustration and animation and just do good work. And so I drifted towards that. And eventually Matt and I got together and he pitched me on comics, actually. I, I, had, mm. I had sort of experimented with comics a little bit. But I didn't really have the same uh, experience. I didn't grow up with comics. Comics were wow. a thing that other people did. I, I grew up in like a very hmm. small mining town up in northern Ontario. And so like we didn't, mm -hmm. we didn't get comic books up there. You don't get these <laughs> they things. They didn't ship up them up. No, they far. didn't ship comic <laughs> books. The first time I got a Spider-Man comic, wow. I was like 13 years old. And I got one because my parents were like, why do you need more than one comic? You didn't have comics in the in the newspaper and stuff like that. We did. I I I sort of underrepresent. I was obsessed with Gary Larson's The Far Side. I had every single As, yes. Far Side cartoon. I love The Far Side. I'm a I'm a huge devotee of The Far Side. I get it though. But that's like, it. I see some of that in your yeah. work. Like I, that sense of humor. You know, I see that. Yeah, and I you know I know this is a podcast, so everybody can't can't see the book but i just you know i want to stress this is ben's first comic book and it looks damn good for uh, someone's first mm -hmm. comic book oh hell yeah and i i would even say well one we're when i post the episode i'll have a few images from the comic that folks could see depending on the platform that they're listening to the podcast on but what was it, something that was interesting to me is there were definitely some moments in the story where ben made some really unconventional choices in the paneling but it worked because it was like you're it's this bizarre world and it's, it's, it's disorienting on purpose. And it's just sort of like, you know, like Ben is not showing up with sort of traditional preconceived ideas of how exactly things have to work. And that means that you have a lot of freedom, which is super fucking cool. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. That is, <laughs> that is true. But it's not, it's not that it's like, no, but Ben brought a lot of good ideas to the, <laughs> Yeah, 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 but it, no, but it's not even that. It's just sort of like stuff gets really rote. There is not a single page in this comic in which there isn't something incredibly interesting, detailed, and bizarre happening. I mean, in 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 every image, there's just so much, and and I think part of that comes from having like a really I don't want to say holistic, but like like you're not you're not I don't know you you haven't inherit, inherited bad habits from people is what I would say. Yeah, and I read the, what's that book, Understanding Comics, the Scott McCloud book. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. something he talks about in that book is the fundamental unit of comics is the page. It's not the panel. And I sort of combined that in my head with this idea from film. Some critic from the 50s said a great film is a film with three good scenes and no bad ones. And so I kept trying to have mm. three good pages per issue and no bad ones. That was just, that was my little rule. So I tried to do three really interesting pages and then just not have a boring page. And it sounds like I didn't completely fail at that. 
No, not at all. I mean, but it's also interesting though, because there's, I see so many references and things that were pulled from comics in here as well, though. Like it's super original, but we're also, you know, there's, there's direct lineage between this and Judge Dredd. Um, even though I am not a Judge Dredd, I have not read very much Judge Dredd, but I am aware of Judge Dredd enough to know this. And there's pieces and visual references to things like Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. And that's, that, that's all in here too. Like, did, did you have somewhat of a dive into that work when you were working on this, Ben? I had read The Dark Knight Returns and, I had looked at Judge Dredd once we started the process of writing it. When I sort of conceived of Justice Warriors, because Justice Warriors was originally an animated show that I pitched to Matt to come on and help me write. And then Mm. he pitched me on it as a comic. And because Matt is much more of a comics person than me. And I think it works out really well as a comic. I'm really happy with what we've put together. Oh, yeah. I, I never read Judge Dredd. I just seen the Stallone movie. And Justice Warriors, in a way, is what I imagined Judge Dredd would be just from, like, cultural osmosis. And I kept being mm-hmm. like, "Is am I just accidentally reinventing Judge Dredd here? And so I kept making it weirder and wackier as I developed it because I'm like, how can I make this not Judge Dredd? And <laughs> I, I feel like I we succeeded at making it not exactly Judge Dredd, but still very Dredd-inspired. Yeah, and and I can say I am a, a a big Judge Dredd guy and have read a ton of it, and as such was you know pretty aware of not wanting to get too close to it. Obviously, there's going to be comparisons, but like Ben said, we're the 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 world is even zanier. It's way it's 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 way mm-hmm. over the top. And then you know, the, some key distinctions that we wanted to introduce is not just with Judge Dredd, but with a lot of science fiction and even satire like you know, good satire, like RoboCop, is that the, the protagonists, <laughs> totally. the, the protagonists here are, are they're, they're not super competent, right? They're, they're not mm-hmm. exactly the, the heroes of the story, even if they're, they're sort of positioned that way. They're, they're comically inept because that is yeah. really, you know, the reality of, of police work and, and police is that in addition to sometimes being, you know, murderous and thuggish that they're also just random people who got really high paying union jobs and are actually com- incompetent and foolish and are armed mm-hmm. and allow you know <laughs> tasked with policing yes. a lot of society's ills that we don't that we don't otherwise have any answers for yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Cop- cops as like the sort of shortcut lazy answer that people have that solves literally none of the problems and none of the que- and answers none of the questions yeah i, I- you know, I mean, I, I, I want to talk about the characters act, the, the main character cast creation in just a minute because there's so much amazing character design work and character concept work that I, I, I'm really, really obsessed with. But I do want to quickly just, you know, for folks who might not be f- as familiar with Matt's work, even though I find that hard to believe, like Matt, how did, is this your first time writing a comic for somebody else to draw or working on a project that somebody else was drawing? Yeah, and in any major way, I may have written some small stuff at the nib or something. I'm trying to, mm. I'm trying to remember. But this is my first comic book series. Definitely my first time collaborating with an artist. You know, Ben co-writes with me, but it feels like for me a long time coming. You know, I've been wanting to do this stuff my whole life. I'm, I've been into comics since I was a little kid. Never wanted to do anything else. That type of thing. I just had initial success with political cartooning and was you know really passionate about it because everything that was going on in the country at the time which means which was 18 years 20 years ago with the invasion mm-hmm. of Iraq and that's when I started and the whole Bush administration and everything that happened in between up until the pandemic and I quit in 2021 because I got pretty exhausted on on basically all levels creatively politically mm-hmm. personally you know I have having two very young kids in the pandemic was very hard and i got sick of you know the churn of the news and just doing work that was kind of you know dated by the next week and all that and i was just wanted to get back to the original plan which was doing ultraviolent genre comics so matt you were dealing with a lot a lot of burnout at like the regular churn of the pace of weekly cartooning and at the world you were satirizing and so you felt like going into 
traditional comics, like as just being able to tell stories versus and having, yeah, I think the, the point you raised about how it doesn't have to be about what just happened is, is a really good one. Yeah. But so, this is very timely comic though. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, this is, I would maybe make the argument that it's the most political comic on the stands. So I didn't want to stray away from mm-hmm. doing political stuff, but you know, I didn't, I didn't want to do stuff that's about Trump or what's going on in the news. And, and even in my last few years of, editorial cartoons i really started to move away from that stuff i was drawing a lot of these wasteland comics and like a mad max world and there was also mm. time traveling assassins that look like a cable from the x-men and uh, cyborgs and <laughs> fun stuff to draw mutants cyborgs time traveling assassins because it it was a lot it was a lot more interesting for me to draw and i'm and i'm you know i kind of originally come from that having that that interest in comic books all the sci-fi mm-hmm. superhero stuff too but so i think you know i in my head i've been kind of moving towards this stuff for for a long time and and even to the extent that i that i think it's overdue i sort of wish i would have got into doing some comic book series earlier mm. Well, one of the things that I really noticed here is that every issue has a backup story from you and you know, these characters are really unique and the world building look is really unique, but it they work really well in both of your art styles and you guys have very different art styles from each other. So I think that's really saying something. And Matt, on an aesthetic level, I think this is like your best looking stuff you've ever done. So thanks. I, I yeah, I've been like I like I said, you know, just trying to get out of that political cartoon box for a long time. Though so Ben created this world originally, you know, for this for an animation mm-hmm. project. So concept of bubble city the main characters and the character designs were all ben and he hit me up to write for it and i, I was just i loved it right like you know this is the type of stuff I, I really wanted to do so the world of justice warriors is one that we you know want to spend as much time in and explore as possible so i love doing the backup strips there's almost an infinite amount of stories that we can tell in this world and hopefully we get to mm. Well, I want to talk about your character designs because maybe this is as part of selling the series to listeners, but one of these cops is literally a piece of shit resembling the shit emoji. It's truly amazing. Ben, talk to me about the creation of Officer Shit. That one, I I like to work in bed. I like to, uh, after about seven o'clock, I'll like get into my PJs and I'll get a little sketchbook. I'll have a podcast on. I'll snuggle up with like a cut up apple and a cup of tea and I'll just like vibe. Hmm. And Hmm. that is where most of Justice Warriors was sort of invented is just like me relaxing like a a 17th century convalescent. And I was I had Swamp Cop for a very long time. Swamp Cop came before anything else. And I was like, okay, Hmm. I need a partner for him. I need a partner. Who is his partner? And just the image of a talking poop comes into focus and I just laugh out loud. And anytime I laugh out loud from an idea that I don't even vocalize, I'm just sitting like a crazy person and laughing to myself, then I know that I'm on I'm on to something. So that's literally how he came to be is I I don't know what inspired him. I don't know where he came from. He's a I guess he's a little bit Mr. Hanky the Christmas poo. And sort of a cross. Oh God, you're right. Yeah, right. And then Harvey Birdman, the the show, he has an assistant Mm -hmm. named Peanut. And I sort of always imagined that shit was like Peanut, but we wrote him very differently. Of just like a character that's like pure id. But he he ends up being he ended up being because I didn't know how to write him at first. I had the character design, but I didn't have the character. And when Matt and I wrote the series, he ended up being just like a lovable sort of middle-class guy, like a sweater vest guy. Like I imagine him in a pastel mm-hmm. sweater vest at home. And yeah, I, I people love him. Every single time people do fan art of Justice Warriors, it's of officer shit and his like bumbling inability to not kill people. I mean, the fact that you gave him braces. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> it works me. really well. <laughs> a really good friend of mine, they came to, we did a, we did a, like a cabin weekend with people we hadn't seen from before COVID. 
And so they came up, came in and my, my friend smiled and she revealed that she had braces. And then instantly in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, shit has to have braces. This like self-improvement, this very clear, mm-hmm. like image of like adolescent self-improvement, but as an adult, not to give my yeah. very good friend any hard time over their choice to get braces. I think it's a fine thing to do, but I, I love mm-hmm. that little character tweak that it does of showing a little bit of humanity in this like literal pile of garbage. Yes. But you know, one thing that I, but I do think about, about the way shit is introduced in the comic and now talking about getting braces as an adult makes me think about it is even within the bubble city, the police, there is a class difference between the police who are many of whom are either have some sort of visible, visible difference between them and the other humans, or they're like not a humanoid. They're they're like a vaguely humanoid species. And so I see shit with braces as an adult and thinking, oh, maybe shit couldn't afford braces as a kid. Yeah. And now he's got his government job so he can get braces. Yeah, there is there is an element, and that's gonna get pulled out as we develop the comic more. And this is a thing that I think about a lot while drawing the comic and designing the comic, is of a certain sense of transhumanism as well mm. of like this distancing between physical who who gets to have what type of body so like the prince has like a, a the prince who's the mayor of bubble city has a, a fully prosthetic nose which is an incredibly exaggerated triangle that's just sticking off the front of his face swamp cop has no eyes like you never get to really see swamp cops eyes and that's another thing that we're going to sort of play up as the comic goes on but a a lot Mm. of the police as well have like prosthetics robot arms are the police chief is almost entirely synthetic at this point so there is this element of like body replacement and body improvement as it relates to your proximity to the bubble and I, I, and I definitely also think of it as like, you know, the, the police are not, the police are not allies with whom we have solidarity, but we are aware of how the police have been outsourced the job of violence by the actual ruling class, right? And so I think it kind of makes sense that they don't get to have the same plastic surgery to glamorousness kind of visuals with their bodies that like, they're serving the elite, but they're still not them. Yeah, and you know they're they're all mutants who live in the uninhabited zone, which is the gigantic, never-ending slum outside of Bubble City, where the majority of the population lives. So there, it, mm-hmm. I see cops as being really the best job in the city. Like the you know, yeah, probably the best the in, best paying job in you the can zone, get. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about Swampy and his genesis. He's got that like classic horror movie. Guild Gilman style head. Yeah, he's like the creature from the Black Lagoon. I think Swamp. I didn't have a name for him for a long time. Maybe I was calling him Swamp Cop before that. But when Trump came along and started talking about draining the swamp, it really like this creature of the morass, this creature of the bog, this this thing that lives in the soup of it. I always like that idea of just like owning that he is of. He is of corruption. He is of this space and he has no problem with it. He's like fully invested in policing. He has no, there's no other side to Swamp Cop. There's only his like devotion to policing. And he, he's, he's really invested in his own journey in realizing himself as a police officer. So he gets to really yeah. just inhabit being a, an action movie character. Which I guess, yeah. Which I guess contrasts him to all of the like subtle, subtle and not so subtle jokes in the story about how horrible this world is. Mm, yeah, I mean, but there's also something like I I love how he is has PTSD and is super traumatized and just won't deal with it, and they're all trying to give him these solutions to the fact he's traumatized without acknowledging like the what actually happened to create it. it, it I'm 
I love that touch with the character and that the police system is like constantly just trying to shuffle this problem off off stage basically even though it's such an obvious problem to anybody that he is completely traumatized by and now we go into spoiler territory for anybody pick up the damn comic it's a trade paperback you can get from ahoy ahoy comics you can get it online you can get it at your local comic shop it's justice warriors it's fabulous like go out read it support independent artists and also like having a wonderful time with a brutal hilarious vicious satire truly gloriously vicious satire with incredibly detailed rich drawing and now that you've heard me say that i love how traumatized he is by his like idealized cop partner getting smacked dead by a self-driving bus right in the beginning (laughs) fucking love that when when ben came to me rogers was a cop who had already died and was a appears in ghost form slash hallucination to swamp as Mm. his ex-partner and so we figured that you know we would we would kill him as the as the origin story and i kind of uh, so it sets up the series you know it's not it's not too spoilery it happens eight pages into the first issue but yeah you said he's like the idealized cop i mean i think i saw that as us sort of killing off this you know heroic archetype like badass cop guy he's kind of like a dirty hairy type you know, he's, he looks fully human. He has a eye patch, you know, sort of reminiscent of Snake Plissken and Nick Fury. He sort of embodies mm. a lot of he embodies a lot of tropes. And so we killed him. And then, you know, Swamp is elevated to the sort of main character who then has to train his naive rookie. And we're in like classic, you know, we're doing classic buddy cop stuff. Except Swamp is is not not psychologically or morally ready for this. What I love is that his Rogers has complete contempt for Swampy, complete contempt for him, <laughs> which is completely reasonable. And yet Swampy is completely devoted to like worshiping this like icon of masculinity in that way. I love that imbalance. Yeah, Swamp is totally impotent in every way. I, I love torturing Swamp Cop. It's one of the best parts of writing the book is thinking of ways that we can hurt Swamp Cop. Yeah, the idea was we were going to put him through the ringer and physically and mentally and emotionally. And then, you know, shit is sort of played off him in in every way. Shit has a, a traditionally attractive, nice wife. And as this appears to be happily married, whereas Swamp appears yeah. to have no other private life whatsoever. Physically, shit is, this is a small spoiler, but, you know, shit is very pliable, we'll say, and appears to mm. have cartoon physics because he's made yes. of shit. And so he survives a lot of things that would seemingly otherwise kill people. Whereas Swamp gets brutalized by the by some activity, some action in the comic. And so we just, we mm-hmm. wanted to play that up a lot. And, 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 and Swamp kind of coming around to a, a catharsis towards the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the other constant things happening from the police department is they keep having different awareness days. And like, as someone, you know, like, you know, I, I'm, I, we see like the cops always wrapping their car in a rainbow flag for pride and then beating people up at the march, you know, and like the cancer awareness screenings they're doing where they're not actually offering anybody any help, just awareness. They're just, it's, I love that satire because awareness is not is not good guys <laughs> it's it, <laughs> nothing you shouldn't be it, aware but it's bullshit yeah. yeah there's a lot of awareness now in our world we're fully aware and i don't know if we could get more aware it's you know it's not too far from what the reality is there are cops doing like pink tasers and pink handcuffs in for breast cancer mm-hmm. awareness so we were just like you know they should everyone they round up they should they should give a free screening i mean this is like I mean, I, I don't know if we're very far off from actually doing that in real life. I, we might, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens tomorrow. And if they do, they're certainly not going to give them actual cancer treatment. Oh. Speaking of real things, though, this this comic deals a lot with AI and policing, um, which is a real thing happening right now in the real world. I it made me think of, I, and I was just trying to Google it and I couldn't track it down. You you might know. I feel like there was a police department that was using AI to like make prospective lists of probable criminals and it was full of like small children, literal like six-year-olds. 
Well, I mean, who's to <laughs> say that they're not going to grow up and to be criminals? I, mean, I that's know, prob- right? That's that's good. That's good old. research right there. Mm-hmm. Then you yeah. can, you know you can start planning a couple decades out. <laughs> but yeah, um, there's actually campaigns. I know Color of Change is running one right now on algorithmic justice. That's asking to pass the Algorithmic Accountability Act. That folks should check out. I'll, you know, I'll link to the petition in the show notes. But but yeah, talk to me about how AI and policing factors into the story and the reality of what we're seeing. One of the things that Matt and I talked about a lot while writing it was that our system, the criminal justice system and how it's integrated with the economic system of our world, is sort of operating on its own rule and that it doesn't really take that much input from humans, that it that the mm. material world is almost operating on its own algorithm now because of the the demands of capital and the 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 need to find growth and new resources and cheaper labor wherever it can find it. And so AI became for us a metaphor for a system sort of working on its own without oversight. And so we wanted to unleash that metaphor on our own little clockwork world of Bubble City and mm. and see how it sort of played out. It also sort of tied in with the other side of surveillance and how you can't really have AI without an enormous amount of data. And you can't have these algorithms that are tracing us and you can't really have these systems unless you have this highly integrated system of surveillance that's tracking everything we do and unless we're posting everything we do uh, for it to be scraped and dreamed by these AIs. So it is, it's sort of tied into this new age we're in of unrestrained capitalism and unrestrained uh, surveillance. And I, I think we do a, a pretty good job of making a farce of it in terms of what we can do about this machine that's sort of digging into our lives and pulling more and more out. I don't know if we offer any solutions. I mean, it's not your job to have to do that, you know. If you if you do, that's amazing. Oh, but God. it's a satire, you know. Yeah. It's okay. I was just going to say, you know, Justice Warriors is sort of not about offering solutions in a way. Like we we felt that would be kind of cheap to just sort of have the people who should win win. There really well, there really aren't any people in Justice Warriors who sort of should be in control of society. Mm-hmm. There's there's not really, you know, the mayor is corrupt and incompetent the chief of police is obsessed with her online mentions and even the the movement that starts against the police has i would say quite a few problems of its own so you know that's sort Mm -hmm. of the fun of justice warriors is taking the sort of you know the bleak aspects of our own society and uh, you know this is a pretty bleak comic where i mean it's it's bleak like the the structure of the world where you know all the rich live in a bubble and everybody else is a mutant with no good prospects for their life or, but, and make it actually fun and wild and action packed, but actually talk about politics while doing it. Well, let me tell you, I mean, yeah, when you introduced the anti-police campaign, I definitely was like, are these going to end up being people who we're supposed to sympathize with, or are these going to also be terrible people and offering, you know, are are they perhaps even offering a critique of existing movements? But one thing that I felt that I don't know if you intended, but I certainly felt is there's a moment where the guy who looks like a fly is telling the woman who founded the, or the group that she needs to position herself differently because she's not getting, she's completely backlit when he's trying to film her speech. Listen, yeah. guys, as someone who does social media for nonprofit organizations, I felt very <laughs> validated by that moment. I was like, I know, Fly Guy, why, they are, you, they're just really undermining your ability to create good, like, good documentation good of their yeah. action to share with other people. I, you know, like, you, you guys are, you need, you, I, I, I've been right there. I've been there telling people that you need to actually be aware of where the light is because the video I'm capturing is completely unusable. We want to be Fly Guy. I've been there as well. I did a lot of communications for climate movements and we did a really great job. And eventually I had to ask myself the question, like, what is this accomplishing raising 
I think everyone is aware that there's something bad happening with the <laughs> environment. And I don't think raising awareness is necessarily going to do what everyone imagines it's going to do, because we're not offering a solution. One of the jokes of Justice Warriors is that everybody's offering solutions to problems, and that none of these solutions seem to take into account that there is a giant bubble city in the middle of a slum. Mm. It's always about like dumping liquidity here or mm. cutting cutting food <laughs> to the us. Or maybe if we just put a, a giant robot in the middle, everything would work out. There, there is this sort of disavowal of the actual organi- physical organization of society. And uh, that's that tends to be the joke that sort of rolls over, over and over again. And we make fun of social media in it a lot, too, because mm-hmm. there is this sort of end game with social media, of, like, of politics on social media, of awareness raising. Like, well, once we've got everyone perfectly aware of the problem, it will magically solve itself. There's no, like, next step. It's like uh, awareness raising... Well- Step one, step two, question mark, question mark, question mark. Step three, utopia. I mean, t- to bring in my my real work, actually, which I, I don't do that often, but to bring in my real work for this, I mean, the issue is that, yes, if, with all use climate change as an example, people are aware that climate change is a problem, but we, they don't have a sense of what meaningful actions they can take to do something about it. And they either have the sense that th- there's nothing they can do about it or that they can shop their way out of it by, you know, buying a reusable straw, right? Because that's sh- the options they've been presented with. I'd like to announce that I've shopped my way out of global warming. <laughs> Congrats. Thank you. I, please tell me how. No, but that's it. I'm but like the gap clear. is that- I'm free and yeah. clear. Everybody else do the, your part. You know, the gap is that like or organizations and like need yeah. to be telling people what meaningful steps they can take or else they're just stuck in that awareness loop. And the thing is like, we do have some answers for some things, actually. And it has to do with, like you said in the story, the imbalance of economic power is at the core of this. So I, I actually think that's really successful as a metaphor because that is at the heart of what's happening with climate change is people believe that they are, the people in power believe that they'll be insulated from the impacts of climate change and therefore they don't care. And they have the power to do something to keep the situation from escalating, but they won't because they believe themselves to be insulated. Well, and a key, you know, a so, key part of <laughs> a key part of the. I don't know if it would. I don't really care about you know spoilers that much. I think it's okay to talk about the sure, Libra, sure. the Libra Gang, which is the yeah. the group that sort of rises up and creates an armed social movement, <laughs> an armed resistance mm-hmm. against you know against what initially it seems that they're against the the police and the economic order but they're they're ultimately about replacing the people in power with themselves they're right. so the libra gang is a is a zodiac based insurrectionist group and they you know that they, mm-hmm. they're sort of you mentioned if there was a critique of of activists or, or any movements in it i think it's a combination of things i mean for you know we didn't want to do any like one to one comparison of things and and it's not necessarily supposed to be a critique of the left it's just there's a lot of things going on at the time that we incorporated into it including you know we were writing it in 2021 2022 there's well obviously there was there was black lives matter stuff during the pandemic but but i'm thinking more along the lines of like online driven hysteria and you know anti-vax stuff being one of it one of Mm -hmm. them and also yeah you know i was watching a lot of just sort of weird. I was watching a lot of investors of TikToks videos where like young people pretend to be like grind set influencers. And there was this trend where a lot of teenagers were developing like Tourette's tics from watching like Tourette's influencers. And so a lot of that is is sort of incorporated into the Libra gang. Like they're always posting and then you see like mo- like people start to want to be Libras because Libras are like the new thing and they're going to be in charge of society soon. So like, you don't want to be 
a cancer, which is like the cancer is the mm-hmm. sign has been relegated to uh, to death, and then other people, other signs <laughs> have to like different, will have different places in the hierarchy. Well, I want to talk about how the comic uses social media in a minute, but just as an aside, while we're talking about Libra, I love that you guys you guys might actually hate astrology even more than I do, and I didn't think it was possible to hate it even more than I do. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, I want to say to start that every statement that's made in the in the comic of, about astrology of which there's a lot of jokes and references are to the best of my ability i actually i researched it and wanted to make it ac- accurate i wanted an astrology nut to read this comic and be like holy shit they didn't just ma- they didn't just wing it they didn't just make up all the references mm-hmm. or all the, the personality attributes and all that stuff now obviously it is not real or a system that we believe wait, in wait what do you mean <laughs> you did my chart matt yeah, yeah, I did your story. I bet he did. And yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I I love that because it's it's absurd and you're able to play with it so well and use it as the language that the frankly young people in this series are speaking. But I wasn't sure if you had any other thoughts about that particular choice cuz I have my own spiel about why it sucks, but you may have I'm curious about yours. <laughs> Well, I, I think I, there's a little yeah. bit of just like arbitrary and absurd categorization of different people. Mm-hmm. So like uh, mm-hmm. you could you could get into like race or religion with that stuff, too, of just because once again, one of the big structural jokes is desperately trying to find an explanation for why the world is the way it is and why things keep yeah. going wrong and people finding some singular piece of the puzzle and like really drilling in on that one thing and for like right-wing people in our own world there's there's race there's religion there's these almost they become like mystical qualifiers just like astrology just like birth signs do so Mm -hmm. we wanted to sort of mess with that idea a little bit matt did you have more on that well just that it you know the uh, astrology is sort of i don't know supposedly you know more popular now amongst our cohort yeah. and younger you know it's and it's sort of engaged in half ironically uh you know i lived in portland for 14 years portland oregon and i knew some people who i who i feel like they believed in it pretty strongly <laughs> and i've always i've always mm. been like uh i'm a skeptic atheist type when i was like younger you know i was reading all the new atheist books and stuff i've always sort of had a disdain for that kind of thing although i've i've chilled out in my older in my old age as i approach (laughs) life but i but i still i think it was kind of you know fertile ground for satire and it seemed like something that was pretty close to people look people online basically get radicalized about everything and it wasn't Mm. hard to see that in another universe it could be zodiac stuff (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like, ultimately, my resistance is consider the idea that when when you were born has an like, literally has an impact on your personality. So because I was born in this particular month, I'm a certain way. I, I thought we weren't doing like biology equals destiny, guys, you know, that that seems pretty gender essentialist to me, saying that when I was born it has something to do with who I am. You know, well, and I think I mean, that when the fact you, that I'm born in America does, but not the fact that I'm born in a particular month. Well, and if you buy into that stuff too hard, just like if you're into, I don't know, I, I don't want to say any ideology because, <laughs> but I, I think if you buy into the zodiac stuff too much, I mean, you actually are foregoing a way to understand like how the work world works materially. You know, you're you mm-hmm. you're not seeing things through the lens of capital and workers and and you know other factors you're seeing it through yep. cosmic divination and and destiny and moods based on the movement of of planets and so that seemed kind of like a a perfect perfect fit for a a world that you know needs change to the world of bubble city and then the people that want to change it have sort of no material explanation that actually works and it's also not far off from awesome. what was actually happening at the time, too, because there mm-hmm. was a real crystal mommy to QAnon pipeline that was yes. uh, presenting yes. itself. I just, yeah. getting back to the conversation about art, 
Like, if people could just accept that they want crystals because they're beautiful and it's okay to want something because it's beautiful, you don't need to make up a reason that you need it for your health and you don't need to make up a reason for like, but like, yeah, all that pseudoscience stuff was a direct line to anti-vax. Absolutely. You you can buy a rock because it's pretty. Like, go for it, you know? It's just, you know, vibe-based ideology. Turns turns many towards bad vibes. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the way social media works in the comic. One of the ways in which it reminded me a bit of Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns was that you have not just TV pundits editorializing, but you also have, because it's 2022 that this is being written in, a lot of people commenting through social media and like literally having those different streams and feeds embedded in the page. Can you talk a little about that artistic choice as well as narrative choice? It this is a this is a world that is this is a world that makes fun of our own world, and we're all insane on the internet now. And it was definitely written at the height of being insane on the internet because people had no other outlet because they were locked in their houses. So it didn't. Mm. There was no other choice really, editor artistically, than to have pages of media dumps where you got to see what the media of this world was. And it's also a really quick way narratively to get a a feel for the different types of voices of what's happening in this world. How do people think? What do people consume? And you get to see all these different aspects of the world very quickly in sort of this fractured mirror on the page really quickly. And we get to pay homage to the, the Dark Knight Returns as well, because we, I really did lean heavily into the Dark Knight Returns on the design of the media pages. Yeah, I mean, and you also have like Dark Knight Returns thugs with like those almost like Cyclops goggles on them. Yeah, the visor. I forgot about that guy because I drew him from, I drew him based on Ben's interior art. I drew on the cover of issue one for my my variant cover. Yeah, the social... Social media was really important. I mean, that's how we, a lot of us, most of us, I don't know, experience politics now is through mm-hmm. this, at least, at least partly, you know, in Justice Warriors, they're out in the streets protesting and fighting with police, but, and also constantly online. I mean, it's sort of everyone's online. You know, the big joke is that the chief of police is that she's kind of like this cybernetic woman who is like sits in her office with like you know 40 screens and she's obsessed with her mentions and you know it's it's again i like ben said it's it's really it's just an exaggeration of of where we're all at in our own world Mm. there's one page actually from your backup i was just looking at where you have a green lumpy teenager bleeding which is what your twitter is the police at the chief gonna lose her job if someone does one jaywalk in the bubble and the chief returning replying fantasizing about economically devastating strangers very normal and then literally having the police show up in the bedroom of the teenager beating the teenager and then pretending to be them explaining why they were no longer on twitter that just i don't know man that just is feels very 2022 in a nutshell yeah, thanks. I mean, I love doing those little backup strips and those was that's the way we kind of expanded on the world a little bit and the chief doesn't even, you know, appear on panel in that, but that gives you sort of an idea of of how she is and you know, I think a lot of people from, you know, total randos to incredibly famous and powerful people spend a lot of time online arguing, especially the last few years. Elon Musk mm-hmm. does it every day oh still God. on the website that he owns. So, you know, that's kind of like uh, the chief's argument there that you said, oh, fantasizing about economically dev- devastating strangers, very normal. I mean, that's almost like a, a left-wing argument in a way. She's just sort of deploying words that work in that yeah. moment, right? Like that's, which, which is sort of yeah. what everybody does is you just, you know, you have to have your retort and it's like, oh, why well, you're trying to destroy my life? Like, yeah, you seem well-adjusted. Well, she's weaponizing left-wing catchphrases in order yeah. to stop to to con- to continue right-wing supremacy, which is something I see. Like, I live in New York. I'm involved in New York politics. New York electeds do this all the time in New York. Like with the with our mayor, for example, Eric Adams. Mm-hmm. I can completely imagine this exchange happening. This feels 
completely accurate to something that would happen here. Yeah. Maybe not like the, getting like disappeared, although maybe, right? Let's hope but, it's happened. Yeah. Well, they're, they're introducing the I mean, yeah. robot cops in New York City now. Yes, we have the robot dog instead of the libraries. I saw one it's painted like a 101 Dalmatian. I don't know. I, it's a 101 Dalmatian. Oh I say that because I got little kids and they watch that show. It's painted like a Dalmatian, right? Mm. I don't right. know if, if the New Ray York future. one is. <laughs> okay. Of one of one that was, you know, they, they're cute. They're nice and cute until they, uh, until they start chasing us down the streets. And also just the, Eric Adams is cutting the school budget and cutting the library budget to buy robot dogs. I mean, you know, owning it myself, like I tweeted, like, look, Eric Adams, I know you don't have any friends, but buying a robot dog is not actually a friend. <laughs> You're trying to economically devastate him? Put him out of a job? That would be his response. Absolutely. This is a conversation that can happen. You also really do a great job satirizing markets and the business media, the way it gins up ideas about what's next, what's hot. And that that was really quite biting here. Yeah, Ben Ben brings a lot of that to the table. I would say obsessed with economics, Ben. Yeah, I'm obsessed with economics much. I like I like (laughs) systems and how things work. And economics is one of those mm. things that see they they call it a science, and then when you really get down to it, it's like, oh, this is BS. Like a lot of this is BS. So I I had to do something with it. I know all this stuff about economics. I'm putting air quotes around economics. I don't know why it is economics. I, it's I, just complete I can bullshit. see them. I can see your air quotes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But people can justify all sorts of crazy behaviors with economics if it benefits them. That's that's the secret behind a lot of economics. And especially in because the bubble obviously isn't really growing. It's sort Mm. of stagnant in concrete and glass. And the us is out there. And the us doesn't really have a lot of prosperous resources to feed into the bubble. There's not a lot of growth. Mm -hmm. So there there always has to be new schemes to get every single last penny out of the us and they can't and they don't say that they don't say we have to get every last penny out of the us because that's not how markets present themselves we don't say oh we have mm-hmm. to load up the middle class with debt so that they work and can never retire or that we basically tax people into oblivion it's always justified from a perspective of like rationalism or utilitarianism. And so we really wanted to deploy that language and that technocratic approach, that technocratic ideology at at the top of the decision-making process to sort of point out the absurdity of it, but also to sort of obscure, obscure and reveal how stupid some of these plans are that actually dictate the conditions of our lives. Like in the first issue, the first chapter of the book, the prince creates a a buyback scheme for his own pop record because the prince is a pop star. The the mayor is also a pop star. He's a beloved mid-tier pop singer. And he creates using the central bank of Bubble City a buyback program for his record. So it's basically like giving a $20 cash infusion to anyone who buys his record mm. but then with how it's sort of organized it becomes an unregulated security which is very very close to how quantitative easing actually works at the american federal reserve so that's a very subtle joke for economics heads but i wanted to slip that in as one of the the primary mm-hmm. instigators of the plot yeah i might say the main engine yeah. that the main plot engine in Justice Warriors is really the economy because like Bubble City doubles as the joke is that, you know, it's physically a bubble, but also there's constant economic bubbles in a boom and bust cycle, basically every issue. And that creates the whole story. I mean, there's the reaction to the record scheme is, you know, in sec- in the second issue, bread becomes an, a commodity, an investment commodity instead of a food. So everybody's buying and holding bread because it will be worth more tomorrow and then that market crashes. And it, and out of that comes the Libra gang. And even the AI you mentioned earlier, I don't want to spoil anything about that, but 
that AI also comes from you know one of the the economic schemes. So everybody's sort of reacting to the system. Yeah, it's a very pessimistic book in the sense that individuals don't really have a lot of agency in the face of these, as I mentioned, like big systems that sort of have their own agency working themselves out algorithmically. Mm. And then the the characters are sort of reacting the whole time and playing their roles within this larger drama. Well, I want to shout out the mayor's speech at the end of the comic as being just fucking genius. It's an amazing satire of how left-wing perspectives and talking points get, you know, regurgitated by actual right-wing leaders with like just enough lip surface for people who aren't paying close attention to get confused. But it's also hilarious. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I think what we wanted to do there was sort of demonstrate that people in power and capital absorb the critique and sort of Mm -hmm. adjust. I mean, we we sort of have a character just outright say that, one of the prince's advisors. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can only do that on the surface level, though. So that's, that's the level on which he's doing it, which is, you know, incorporating some of the language. I mean, we see this every day in our, you know, how our political leaders talk. Yep. It's it's really great. And I also want to shout out the, I think this might be a first in comics history where you use legit force is a sound effect the way someone else would have splort or blam. The <laughs> swampy is hitting some guy and the noise and, it, and and the hit makes the sound legit force. I fucking love it. That was Ben. Yeah. Great work. I applaud you. I mean, Ben, you really are coming up with a crazy number of new character designs throughout the whole book. I mean, you have a blobfish headed person, cop. Like, I how do you sort of spin spitball out these wildly diverse, unique character designs that are often just throwaway background gags? You, necessity is the mother of invention. That's mm-hmm. what I'll say. You you have a crowd scene and it's gotta be mutants. And you have, according to your spreadsheet, two hours to draw it. Mm-hmm. You got to figure it out. And sometimes I have a lot of fun with it. There's a lot of hidden characters from a lot of our influences throughout these crowd scenes. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of get like a little bit of a groove at a certain point of figuring out what characters sort of work. But there's, there's a big variety in there. I couldn't tell you how I do it, to be honest. It just, uh, it just happens. It's cool, though. Not only do you guys hate astrology as much as I do, if not more, but the comic, this this graphic novel ends with gender reveal party taken to a very logical extreme as, as the end story here. I enjoyed that greatly. Thanks. Yeah, I have a, a backup six-page story that's just sort of a, a one-off short story where yeah, Swamp stumbles into uh, a gender reveal. It's a that's a little spoilery because, <laughs> but it's okay if you're, yeah. people aren't buying it for my backup story. But, you know, that's sort of the type of stuff that we want to do more of in Justice Warriors. It's like, you know, there could be, we have all sorts of ideas. I mean, we want to do multiple volumes of this and, you know, mm-hmm. we could do, we could do short stories and long stories all day. And it can work as a, as a, as a sort of like a matrix for political cartoons as well as it can just mm. be straight action, too, which is what makes the the setting so exciting for us. So, what 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 is next for Justice Warriors series? Are you working on future issues at this point, or we don't have an official announcement, but we have pitched volume two. We have big plans for it. You know, Ahoy really likes this series. Everything indicates that we're we're doing volume two, so we're. Ben and I have de- have plotted it out. I mean, we've talked a lot about what's in it. I don't want to spoil any of it yet, but yeah, sure. we're going to start working on volume two, like in earnest, I think, real soon. So it, you know, depending on the time frame, you know, it might be, yeah, it'll probably start being released later this year. I think. Yeah, awesome. hopefully, I want to get paid to draw this comic again. It'd be great. Please buy the comic so he can be paid because that is how art <laughs> yes. works. Actually, I want to just say. You guys have a cover blurb from Peter Chung, the creator of Eon Flux, which is yeah. interesting also as a as a potential influence because that story is a future dystopia disguised as a utopia, I suppose, right? 
Yes. We both love Peter Chung and Ben as an animator, I think, most of all. Yeah, he's actually a, a close mentor of mine. He and I, oh, I took wow. a class from him this year. And as part of the class, I was able to put Justice Warriors in front of him. And he he gave a bunch of notes on it and gave a very long blurb. And that was the part that we used. Well, it's it's great to see that connection there. And it was a nice reminder to watch the Aeon Flux DVD that I borrowed from a friend because it's not online anywhere. So I kept my Aeon Flux DVD collection even after I got rid of my DVDs because I was like, I don't know, you know, they could take it off of YouTube. They mm-hmm. can, I, I, if I want to rewatch it someday, I'll just go buy a DVD player. And I'm, yeah. ne- I'm, ne- I'm never getting rid of that because it's such, it's such great and strange animation. He actually refuses to have it remastered mm-hmm. for 4K because he says that it will look too bad because it was produced actually on a very limited budget, which is amazing mm-hmm. to think because the animation is great. The, the direction of, on it is amazing. It was really great in the class to see also, he, he brought us through a couple of the episodes of Eon Flux from like storyboard thumbnails all the way up to final animation and seeing how he scripted it and produced it and thought about how to go into it. And it, it was a bit of like a mind-bending awakening for me. It was, it was better than my entire art degree in terms of what I learned from that mm. class. I am not surprised. So remind our listeners where they can keep up with your work online after they buy the wonderful, wonderful comic from Ahoy Comics. Yeah, I'm Matt Bowers on, you know, most social media platforms. Pretty easy to find. And I'm at Ben Clarkson on Twitter and at Ben Clarkson 1 million. That's 1 million, the number, not the word, on Instagram. Yeah. Come, come follow us. That's the, that's the end point of all of this anyways, is just following us on social <laughs> media. That's why we wrote a book. Yeah, clearly. And as for me, I'm still on Twitter a little bit too much, although less than I had been at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Feel free to send me questions and please review this podcast. Tell other people because that is how other people will find it. We got more great comics interviews and more coverage of comics adjacent art and media coming up. And as we like to say, keep it geeky.